DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 12.80 The Zone. We are joined now by Guy Holiday, wide receivers coach at Utah. He's on the Sprint special guest line. Sprint makes it safe and easy to get what you need online. You can visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Guy, good morning. Good morning. How are you guys doing today? Uh, you know, we're all right. It hasn't been the best three months, certainly. There's been a lot going on, and we could probably talk to you for a couple hours because we've talked to you <laughs> up at the U. You know, for people who don't know you, you know, you grew up in Baltimore. Uh, you went to college in Pennsylvania, and you've coached all over the country, you know, starting with some small schools and then, you know, some bigger schools. Uh, but you've been in Atlanta, in Alabama, in Michigan. You got to the SEC at Michigan State. Cornell, so you've been in the Ivy League, and then UTEP, BYU, and Utah. So you've recruited a lot of people. You've been in a lot of parts of the country. You know things aren't the same everywhere, but there's common stuff. And before we get to all the coronavirus stuff, which we want to get to as the school reopens, you're like everybody else. You've been watching and listening to what's going on. And I'm just curious, you know, a lot of it's been discussed, but are there points that are getting missed? Are there points you really want to emphasize? Yeah, I, I, I think it does. I, if you look at it, I mean, I was born in 68, so um, I get it, or 69, actually, I get it. And, um, you know, I've seen the civil unrest before. Uh, people, you know, and with there over uh over uh police brutality or what would appear to be police brutality at that time and then when you go back and i think we don't again we ignore things that that don't pertain to us and um in L.A., I was actually, I started school in, in, in Los Angeles, and I was actually in California doing the um, the N.W.A. when they came out with after police, and, and people were, they're so radical, they're so, but when you live in those communities and your relationships have deteriorated over time um, with the people who are charged to serve and protect you, um, there's definitely you know, a discord between the two. Um, now, with that said, my experiences, I've had experiences on both sides. I've had experiences uh, uh, with the police when I was young that, that weren't healthy, and I've had uh, positive experiences being pulled over for a traffic stop and how I was treated. But we, as people, want to paint everything into these uh, circles or these square boxes, uh uh, and this can be seen right here in our own country, Republican, Democrat. We, you know, I, I always sit back and laugh. Well, there are some things that uh, Democrats do that I really like. There are some things that Republicans do that I really like. There are some things that uh, Democrats do that I really don't like and vice versa. So I can't always put myself in these square boxes that we want things to be in. So, you know, the civil unrest, I understand. I mean, because I, I've lived in the community. I've been in people's homes. I've, I've come in touch with people, families who've dealt with it. What I can't understand is the looting, the crime, because really and truly that just comes down to people who are taking advantage of the situation that's out there. They're, they're, they want to do it anyway, and they're just taking advantage of it 
presented with this opportunity, and, and they take advantage of it. And, and, you know, here in Salt Lake City, you know, I've been here seven years, eight years now, and I'm, I'm going to be totally honest with you. Uh, my perception of Utah before I came, uh, I had to be convinced to come here uh, because Utah is not known as a diverse city. It's not known as a um, a city that is, or a state, I should say a state. Uh, uh, Salt Lake City is not known as diverse. And then as a state, Utah is definitely not known as diverse. And then my own um, prejudices, against the, the Mormon church. I didn't know anything about the Mormon church. And the only thing I knew is that they didn't allow blacks, uh, which being half black and half Samoan, uh, into the into the hierarchy of the church until 78, 79, or whenever it ended. And, and I, you know, like everybody else, I had this negative perception before I came. And then when you get to know people, you know that there are people uh, and the majority of people that are out there that represent the LDS Church aren't aren't prejudiced, you know. Uh, particularly, uh, you know, here and and then, but there is a side <clears throat> that still exists that we have to acknowledge exists, and then we have to deal with it. How do we talk about it, and how do we put plans in action that that helps it dissolve or? you know, states that uh, this is the way it is and these are our actions taken and it's proven. And I think what you're seeing right now, uh, you know, we were all pissed and I, I shouldn't say we, I should say a lot of people were pissed when Colin Kaepernick and a couple other players took a knee. But we wanted to find how they protest. It was peaceful, but we never listened to the message. We were upset that they protest. And so now you're dealing with people who are saying, well, if we can't protest peacefully, you know, things aren't changing for us. Nothing changed from the Colin Cap since the Colin Kaepernick protest. Nothing. And there are no actions being put in place that help people feel more comfortable with the system, per se. And until that happens, you're going to have civil unrest. We're going to go right back to this. This is all going to die down. It always does. Um, you're going to have civil unrest again. And people forget in the rioting and, and, and the destruction in the late 60s and all the protests, there was action taken. There was a civil rights voters bill passed. There was uh, more attention paid to equality. And then we kind of just let it go by. And uh, so we have to keep progressing as people. And, uh, you know, I know I read Spike Lee's comments and some people took it as um, as negative, but it was very positive because what he was really saying is there are not. And if you look at our demographics, there is not a large representation of minorities in the state of Utah. If you look at the demographics, which is all people can look at online. But if you're here, particularly in Salt Lake City, this, it is extremely diverse. So what Spike Lee was saying is that my white brothers and sisters are standing up for equality. And that's something positive because that's something that in some of the other protests in, in the past you didn't see. But now you do because back in the 60s you saw it. It was, of course, the uh, Jewish community from up north who was very active in the civil rights movements. And, and so we just need to understand there's two sides of every story and uh 
I wish we could just eliminate the uh, um, the eluding the uh, the acts of violence, but we also need a, a uniting voice. You know, we we can stand there, and I'm I'm not one. I'm not a political person. Say, hey, we got to be more violent, more aggressive with people. Well, aggression meets aggression, and that's always going to be. And and the perce- your perception is reality. And at some point, we need calmer voices to come along and say, um, you know, let's sit down at the table. Let's have some serious resolution to the issues. But we first have to acknowledge that the issues exist. And there's so many people in our country that don't even want to acknowledge that, yes, there are some issues within our own country. We're not perfect. How are we going to resolve them? Because that's how this country was built, through resolve. And uh, until we do that, I, I think you're going to continue to see uh, whether it's this year, whether it's 10 years from now, you're going to continue to see the civil un- unrest. And, uh, you know, we all have different stereotypes uh, of what we think. And, and the only way you can break the stereotype is drop your guard and get involved one-on-one with the people that you have these concepts about or these fears about. And, uh, you know, and I get it. I get it on both sides of the story. I mean, I grew up in in a in a very um, rough neighborhood. I mean, it's no doubt about it, and very confrontational neighborhood, very violent neighborhood. And if I was a police officer, you know, I don't know that I would want to come into my community and uh, and not be on edge, not be at a heightened awareness. Uh, but with that said, I also take a, a you know an oath to serve and protect. And uh, so you know what you're signing up for, and as unfair as it is, it's like the military. You know what you're signing up for. No one said that Iraq or Iran is going to be these safe havens that you go into and nothing's going to happen. But you still have to treat people with common respect, and that goes on both sides. And and to me, that is uh, what's lost here, just the common respect and then the, the uh, understanding of each person's position. Instead, now we're using it to divide and conquer, uh, and and that's that's what's frightening to me because the the these people's stories aren't being heard any longer, and and God bless George Floyd's family and and him himself who who gave his life, but his life is given in vain if we don't have any any resolve to any of this and. Uh, and it can't be just burning and looting stores. That's not the way you do it. But that's not the only thing happening out there. That's just what's being broadcasted. Um, I actually rode down to, to Salt Lake City and, and uh, uh, two days ago. We drove. I drove through in the morning, and it was really great to see people cleaning the buildings who were some of the protesters and dialoguing with state troopers at the Capitol. And, and just more of that needs to happen, more, more of us. Uh, need to understand the frustrations of our young people because they're real. And uh, this is what they know. This is what they think. And, you know, it's funny. I grew up in a time being a, having an African-American mom and having a Samoan dad and having long hair. And uh, in my community, that wasn't accepted. So you could only be black. It wasn't, it, people didn't even know what Samoan was or Polynesian was on the East Coast. And they still um, uh, very rarely do, you know. They the only thing they know is Hawaiian, and uh, but 
my message to everybody is we, we need to sit down. We need to try to be understanding. Stop condemning each other. And, and let's start to make some positive gains towards what the issues really are. And let's not shut it off. Let's listen. Just because we haven't experienced police brutality or just because we haven't experienced the racial prejudices, let's not be so arrogant to say, well, that really doesn't exist because I haven't seen it. Uh, and I, I think that's what we, we miss as people. You know, we want to dismiss people uh, based on our own experiences. Well, unfortunately, you know, in life, you don't get to experience everything that everybody else has. And uh, so we, we need to open up our minds, open up our hearts. And, um, you know, I, I think if we approach this in the right manner, I think Salt Lake City has done an unbelievable job with its police forces and, and how to handle it. And I think other places, you know, there's a criminal element. Let's Let's be honest. And how do you deal with them? You know, I, I don't have all the answers to that. Fortunately, that's way above my pay grade. Uh, but I do know this. We need a voice that's unifying, not divisive. Well, Coach, there's only about 500 things there that I could hit that you just said, but we can't do that. I'll play a one thing that really struck with me when you said, when you get to know them. I've always thought that was the key, and then you later mentioned the one-on-one level. And one of the things that's always fascinated me as we see these people protesting, a lot of them are young people, and they are the demographic, basically, of what a college football team is. And I have seen this time and time again. I lived in Los Angeles in 1992. I was there. My wife taught in South Central, 90% African-American at the school at Washington. And I saw that, well, if you got to know people, they no longer became fill-in-the-blank, whatever ethnicity. They became the person, whatever that person's name is. And I use a great example here, uh, your your football team, when you're playing in that Dallas Bowl game, and they bring in Troy Williams, who had been a senior and started as a junior. We know his story. And he played at Narbonne. My wife actually taught at Narbonne, too. I covered Narbonne, so I know about that community. And he faked that his shoe came untied, and he's an African-American, to let Drew Lisk, uh, a Caucasian kid, get in the ball game. My kids went to Jordan, so I have both those schools right there. And I look at your football team, and football teams really, and athletic teams across the country, you bring in all these people, young people, and they find ways to get along because they know each other. Isn't that the key? If you look to a sports team, and you guys are, your football team's diverse, they get to know each other, and they're not a black person. They're actually Troy Williams, not a black person. Obviously, he's black, but he's a person. And Drew Lisk is a white guy, but he's not a white guy. He's Drew Lisk. And these two people knew each other, and they have feelings for them. Is that what it's all about, getting to know people on an individual level? There's no question. You know, sports is one of the um, – it's really funny. You look at Major League Baseball, and, um, you know, in our country, we have a, uh, a very negative – view of, uh, in my opinion, of the Hispanic population and how we view them. But you look at Major League Baseball, and Hispanics are at the top of Major League Baseball, the Hispanic community, and we accept them. Sports is really the unifying, uh, uh, I guess, the unifying causes. You know, it is one of the only places where regardless of your race, 
regardless of your sex, when you talk about uh, women's sports also, where you can put all these different people in a locker room and uh and they learn to get along and uh and they learn because they're fighting for one cause now they all live their own separate lives which we understand but there is a point where i am my brother's keeper i am my sister's keeper and you you have that code and you live by it and it doesn't matter what race you are and you know i've been fortunate i uh, you know, Troy Williams, unbelievable. Uh, you know, Bradley Anai, who just left the University of Utah. But it goes past that. One of the best people I've ever met. Uh, and I'm talking about as a competitor, as an athlete, and as a human being was Taysom Hill. And uh, I have so much respect for him. And I don't, when, uh, uh, when Jordan came here with me, uh, Jordan Leslie, and, and that was one of the people that he bonded with, Taysom Hill, you know, and, and so it doesn't, it doesn't matter. You know, we, sports helps you have a common cause, and until we can find a common ground where we can sit down and be for each other versus against each other, um, you know, it, it's, it's not going to change, and that's what sports is, a unifying cause, and uh, it doesn't matter you know, in a locker room, if you're white, if you're if you're Samoan, if you're Tongan, if you're Mexican, if you're Honduran, if you're black, it doesn't matter. You know what matters if you can play, and and you're judged on your talent. You're not judged on your color, and uh, and that's where it's different. Now, you know, one of the things I I, I think that are, are so important that's really uh, frustrating for me is is that I see that every day. I see young people who get along, who love one another, who, um, you know, will go their own separate ways in life, and they'll carry these values with them. So prejudice is taught, okay? The fear of um, the young people who are different than us, who maybe they have uh, long hair that was down in Salt Lake, and maybe they're not your... Uh, typical, what we classify how a young person should look. Maybe he is a skateboarder. Maybe he is tattooed up. It doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him different than us. And just if he's not, uh, maybe he's Baptist. Maybe he's, um, maybe he just doesn't believe. It doesn't make him a bad person. It just makes him different. And diversity is what makes the world grow. And without, if everybody thought the same and did the same, I, I, I just don't think we'd be very successful as a country. So we need to start embrace, embracing what the country was founded on, and that's our diversity. And, and, and embrace, embrace the different cultures. And because in each culture, there's something that we can learn, and there's something that, that will help us grow as people. But if we stand back and we back up into our corner, and put on our our proud uh, chest plate or, or chest plate of armor and say my way is the right way, then automatically we're alienating everybody else outside. And until we can become accepting of other people's uh, beliefs, of other people's uh, value systems, of other people's races, and not try to change them into what we want them to fit into this square peg. We're going to, or, or square box, we're going to be better off as people. 
and and start accepting that that we aren't perfect. We're just sitting here judging others instead of uh, helping solve the solution. Because you're right, when you go and you work in the South Central, and and, uh, and I moved from L.A. in 1991, and you work in these these different places, you know, you realize that they're just people. When I look at our football team, I don't say, man, you know, this guy's white or this guy's black. I see a I see a good person that happens to be a really good football player. And and it all starts with are they a good football player and then you of course look at the person and, and all those but generally most really good players are really good people because they have that work ethic. And um they have the discipline and of course you do have some that, that aren't but I don't look at them as black as black or white. I don't walk into my into a staff meet and say Oh, that's the white coach. He's against the black players. I don't look at it like that. I look at it as that we're all there for a common purpose and a common reason, and uh, that's what makes the. That's why I'm in the sport. That's what makes it fun, because I can touch lives regardless of the color. Guy Holiday, Utah wide receivers coach, joining us, and you talk about. Uh, being down in L.A. or growing up in that neighborhood, you grew up in Baltimore where you recognize police have to be on edge when they come in, and there's a certain level of desperation there. And I'm just wondering to what degree, yes, a lot of this is about police brutality, obviously, but how much of this is also about hopelessness and how much of this is about just crushing poverty day after day? Not being able to eat every day, not having a roof over your head, not having access to transportation or medicine. See, I, I think that's that's a uh, probably most valid point is that, yeah, some of it is, you know, obviously about police brutality, but a lot of it is about the everyday frustration uh, of life. And, um, you know, I was very, very, very fortunate in West Baltimore where we um we had an opportunity we had what was called um uh citywide schools that had specific majors and when you weren't recruited there you had to apply and get in it wasn't like that anybody could just go there it wasn't about sports it wasn't built on sports it wasn't like we just happened to be really good in football and basketball at Dunbar but what it it gave you a chance to see was people who looked like you that excelled, uh, people whose parents were lawyers, people whose parents were doctors. I had my dad uh, died in Vietnam when I was two years old, never even got to see me. I think I was one and a half to be exact and never got a chance to see me. And uh, I had a, a family, uh, the King's, uh, and the Matthews, two families. So I went to school with their kids. Well, they both were from two parent homes. Um, uh, Mr. Marcus, Matthew Marcus, is still alive today. He's in his 90s. Uh, he was a principal at a middle school and, um, you know, very disciplined. And, and Marty King, Martin King the third. his dad was Martin King also, uh, um, his family, his dad was an accountant, owned his own accounting firm. I didn't even know what an accountant was growing up, um, you know. So he just and drove a nice car, but they went to work every day. You know, wasn't driving a nice car selling drugs on the corner. They they put work in and, and their futures, and they went to college. And that's what ultimately 
helped me decide that college was what I wanted to do because I had a chance to see it. I had a chance to talk to it. I had a chance to touch it. So now you're in communities where uh, basically, you know, with the zone school system, which I understand, but, you know, you don't have in, in Baltimore, Maryland, for instance, for instance, it, you know, even though you grew up in a poverty stricken community right next door, uh, within a quarter mile walk was a middle class neighborhood and within a mile's walk was a upper class neighborhood. And so you integrated with these kids in elementary school. You you got to see parents who excelled and kids who lived a different way. And um it was it was really moving. It, it was really moving for me as a young person to know that there is another way out. And and I think right now what you're seeing in, in the streets that are bearing out is people who, who don't feel there's another way out. They just don't see it. And it's easy living in middle-class America, upper-middle-class America to say, oh, they're so ignorant. They're so ignorant. They're so trifling. They're just, no, but you don't live it. You haven't been down there. You don't understand. You know, I get it. I, I get that drugs has ravaged West Baltimore. I mean, when I go back there, it's moving for me as a person to see a community, you know, or, or people that's lost. You know, they, they don't have a way out, and, and per se, unless they're that one, two, three percent of the people that are motivated uh, in a different way. And, and the other thing that, that has really transpired, you know, when I was growing up, in the old um, uh, African proverb, it takes a village to raise a family, to raise a child. Uh, it takes a village to raise a child. We don't do that anymore. We don't get involved in other with other people's children. We don't correct them. We, we fear them more than anything now. We don't reach down and take a, a young person under our wings to try to help and guide them. And without guidance, without hope, um, what do you want them to resort to? A fictional character on TV? You know, that, oh, do you want them to be the next Michael Jordan? Because that's, in our communities, in African-American community, that's what we glorify, mainly LeBron James, Michael Jordan, Kobe Bryant. You know, we see them, well, you may not be able to play basketball or football. You know, you may not, we need to start glorifying other African-Americans, people who look like them that have been successful. And uh, we don't do that enough, in my opinion. You know, we, we do, we glorify athletes uh, way too, too much in our communities. And, and, and it's, it's unfortunate because those kids don't see another way. So the two things that they see in those communities, in those communities, if you can be a great athlete or you can be a great drug dealer. You know, we, we got to show them what's in between those two. And, uh, and how do you get out of those, uh, out of the, the hood, as I say, with your mind and not your body? And, uh, we got to learn to develop the minds of our young people. And I, I would suggest that any person who, uh, has never gone into an inner city public school to see how, uh, most of them don't have computers. Uh, the books are still from 1970. And uh, instead of thinking about yourself, think about that child uh, who doesn't really have a chance to succeed just based on what he's given. And he already feels cheated 
if he goes to another another school just to see what they have. You know, it's little things like that that, um, you know, we got to change at some point. Thanks, Coach. Really appreciate this. Coach, thanks for coming on. We appreciate your time and your perspective sharing it with us here for a few minutes this morning. Well, I hope I didn't take up too much time. Nope, you really couldn't. And um, it's always a pleasure being on with you guys. And, and um, you know, I, I love the state of Utah. I love the city of Salt Lake City. Um, my, my eight years here, man, I have nothing but good things to say about it. And um, I, I, I wish everybody would, would come in. Uh, I tell every parent that I've ever recruited, come see it. It's not what you think it is, and, and that's one of the problems. We need to go see things so that we can get a real value, a real picture on what it really is and not what we think it is. Yeah. Well, you know, that probably goes the same way. Uh, you know, I have, uh, I've been to Baltimore once very briefly, and I went to an Orioles game, so there I am. Living, living my sportscaster stereotype. But I had a friend who went and taught in Baltimore and said, of all the things you don't know, one is that all the kids are taught not to get a drink at the drinking fountain at school because there's so much lead in the water. You know, and you didn't, you didn't even have time to get to that. You listed a whole bunch that of things. That would be correct. Right. <laughs> things you take for granted, being able to get a drink of water at school just because you're thirsty on a hot See, day. See, now I know that you've really been to Baltimore. Yeah. That, that much I know because you do not drink the water from the fountain. Yeah. That, that's, that's really good. Well, I, I really appreciate it. And uh, we'll get through this and we'll get through COVID-19. And, and um, man, as soon as we get back to – having football and I can go back into the office. I'm going to be really excited. <laughs> Coach, thanks for a few minutes. We really appreciate it. Hey, thank you guys. Guy Holiday, Utah wide receivers coach, join us here on 97.5 at 1280 The Zone. Brian Keel, former BYU and NFL linebacker, is coming up at 9 o'clock. DJ and PK brought to you in part by Zero Res. A clean home is a healthy home, and right now Zero Res is cleaning carpets for $33 per room. Plus, schedule three rooms and they'll get your fourth room clean for free. Call Zero Res today to schedule your cleaning at 801-288-9376. Now let's get this party started. This is Hans Olsen and Scotty G on the Zone Sports Network. I feel like there is a building of opinion or a continuing building of opinion of people saying, why are we doing all this to finish an NBA season? Everybody has something to gain. So I don't want to hear this. Well, why are we even doing this? I would say they just shut it down. Let's get ready for 2021. Stop with all that. When you're talking about eliminating sports and saying, oh, there's no reason these games need to play, you're talking about GAs trying to make a living with a wife and maybe a kid in college football who's making no money. Those are the people that are really going to take the brunt of this if you don't get sports back in some way, shape, or form. It needs to be done safely. It needs to be done appropriately. That's the number one priority. But if it can happen, it needs to happen because there's a lot of people out there that are really dependent on it. Hanson Scotting. Weekdays from 10 to 2 on 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Greg Rebell just tweeting out, BYU is scheduled to open the 2020 college football season three months from today at Utah. It is June 3rd, September 3rd. The game starts. You know, PK, the rivalry has brought up. I mean, we can recount all the incidents, right? I think our, most of our listeners know them. If you're new to town, we're not going to recount them right now. But there's there's so many of them. And just then you Google think, it. yeah, right. Just just Google, you know, cheerleader versus student or storming field or 
Yeah, flying cell phones or whatever else. There's a torn down goalpost. I mean, there's a million stories, right? And you like one team, you don't like the other. Although, when you start digging down, there's a pretty good number of people who have been on both sides of this rivalry as players, as coaches, some as player one and then coach another. And we just talked to Guy Holiday, and, you know, maybe at one time a fan really liked, but then didn't really like him or really didn't like him, but then really did like him. And then you listen to him talk for half an hour, and you think, yeah, maybe I didn't know him at all when I really liked him or when I didn't really like him. I don't think anybody dislikes Guy Holiday because he didn't get uh, an opportunity to stay at the job because it was a coaching change. It's not like he took off. Uh, He basically had to do what he had to do, and I think everyone understands that. But this guy brings to us, to our community, a phenomenal perspective. He did that when he was BYU receivers coach, and he's obviously done that at Utah. When I talk to him, it's almost like the last thing I want to talk to him is about his receivers. (laughs) Because this guy is so profound and has such life experience that when I speak to him, I become more educated and I become more compassionate towards people and what he said at the end i mean he said five thousand things i know he did (laughs) where do you start Uh, but what he said at the end is just so true man it rings true i see it i see it i don't see it as much up here now but i saw it way more when i was in california and i was covering high schools and my wife was teaching at washington which is Right there at South Central, 108th and Danker for anybody who's been around there. Uh, they used the place in 1992 for to store Armory. National Guards slept there on the campus. Uh, it was heavily African-American. And you get to know these people, so many of them. She coached uh, softball and volleyball. And, I mean, I, I, can, I can send you a picture of her, uh, uh, the team, the volleyball team. There's one white person, and it's my freaking old lady who was in her 20s at the time. And, and yet you came to love these people. And the thing that he said to me right at the end is we do glorify, and Steve Cleveland brought this up earlier in the week, we do glorify the likes of Michael Jordan and Kobe Bryant and MJ, and that's fine. But the reality is there's nobody who's going to grow up to be that good and be that type of a player, even, say, a, a Royce O'Neal who is a role player in the NBA. Forget about the great ones, you know, the all-timers. Really, your chances of being an NBA player or whatever player are so slim. But if we could somehow get these folks who have made it out of their communities, in whatever community there is, to be, and they did it through education and hard work, and if those, if we can put all of us, can put those folks as role models for the young people and to see, hey, my neighbor three houses down, three apartments down, he or she, they made it. And look how they made it and come back and follow that path. Because the path is out there. Ron McBride, I remember he said this when he was doing some of his work. It was an interview. It might have been on our station. And he was talking about how the path is there. It's hard. And it's going to be harder for fill-in-the-blank minority than it was for me. There's no doubt about it. And there's going to be other people who it was harder for me than it was for them. But there's a path out there. And if you can stick to it, I know it's really, really hard. And he's right what he said about the schools and societies and it's just heartbreaking to see somebody who's born into something and has no chance through no fault of their own but if they could find ways out if we could promote that maybe we could have a better world 
You know, Mac now has got a foundation, and he's drafted a lot of people in the sports community to work on it, including me. He's selling masks, and uh, they're team-oriented masks. You know, whoever your team is, Utes, Wildcats, are obviously the two Macs into, but Aggies, Cougars, whatever. And they're 20 bucks. You go to the foundation website, and they're 20 bucks, and he uses the money to fund after-school programs. And, and PK, you know how much people need positive role models, need positive instruction, maybe need a little bonus academic time after school, need some organized sports after school. Yeah. And the, his foundation does $10,000 donations, and they are in eight schools across the Wasatch Front. So, you know, when you're thinking, what can I do? Because it's kind of hard to sit here and watch fill in the blank city, right? I mean, now you can turn on the TV at night and watch what's happening in Minneapolis. And then you watch what's happening, uh, you know, in L.A., Phoenix or Denver. And then it's D.C. or New York or wherever. And you're thinking, well, how does one person in Utah, you know, how are we supposed to impact that? <laughs> Seriously, even if you want to, what are you supposed to do? I mean, that's, that's one small thing you can do. Um, but I just think of all the things he said, the one that really stuck with me is that people's you turn on the TV and you think, why does fill in the blank person act like that? Right. In this case, looting or whatever. Like they know nothing about our lives. We know nothing about theirs. You know, the total hopelessness he describes in Baltimore, no matter how tough you or I think we have it on any given day. You know, we don't have that. And then you wonder, why can't someone get out? And like, well, they don't even know, in some cases in those communities, what the target is to get out. You know, how do you do it? And, and you got to go, if you, if you weren't with us, Guy Holiday, he had a lot of things. And one was when he said he was very, very, very fortunate that he went to school he went to because he could see, well, there's the target. There's the goal. That's how I can get out. And until he went to that school, he didn't even know, he didn't even know what to shoot for, you know. So it's uh, it was a really good interview, and he'll say it better than PK and I'll say it. And uh, Yak will put it up. You got it up, Yak? Are you working on it? Be up momentarily. Okay. 1280thezone.com. You can listen to it. In some cases, maybe listen to it a second time if you want. He hit a lot of stuff really quickly. Uh, but we love having Guy Holiday on. Thanks to him for coming on. Brian Keel's coming up. He's about uh, 15 minutes away on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Take the zone with you wherever you go. Let's go. Download the all-new Zone Sports Network app on your phone and get live streaming of the zone as well as podcast editions of every show. From Salt Lake to Shanghai, Provo to Portugal, or Ogden to Oslo, wherever you go, we'll tag along. Let's go. Download the new Zone app by searching Zone Sports Network wherever you shop for apps. It's the Zone Sports Network app. From 97.5, 1280, The Zone, and The Zone Sports Network. DJ and PK, it's 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. We just had Guy Holiday on. That interview's up at 1280thezone.com. Really encourage you to go listen to it. We always like having him on, and he did not disappoint today. He had a lot of good things to say. Brian Keel, former BYU and NFL linebacker, is coming up next. So, PK, since we've got a lot of football here, let's just take a few minutes because we know we got a lot of NBA fans here. Uh, we're inching closer to uh, the NBA returning. Um uh, Commissioner Adam Silver expected to have a proposal uh, to take to a vote for the NBA Board of Governors meeting tomorrow. Uh, the expectation is finals game seven on October 12, a 22-team format 
Looks like play is going to start late July. July 31 is a date that's been thrown out there. So we're probably talking two to three weeks of regular season, a weekish or so of some type of play-in format, which I really hope is kind of NCAA tournament, you know, 13 versus 12, winner plays 11, winner plays 10, something like that. Um, I don't know how much time they're going to want to devote to it, but but something like that where the stakes are really high and stuff happens really fast. And then to get into a more traditional 16-team format, still not clear if they'll mix it up, East versus West or 1 versus 16, but it seems like the NBA, they're doing a good job of keeping themselves in the story by just leaking a couple of details accidentally on purpose each and every day. Yeah, I don't think it's going to go all the way to October 12th because I don't think the Jazz will need seven games. There it is. Calling a shot. Five, six. We sweeping. What are we doing here, PK? Sweep, 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 sweep. Uh, sweep's very tough in the finals. Very rarely does that happen. So, yeah, I'll go five, maybe six, you know, if Joe is not into it one game or not. Besides digging that night off. Yeah, you know, because you know what he's thinking about. Well, of course, he'd be thinking about Renee and the kids. (laughs) That was all a build-up to say that one more time. (laughs) It always is. Come on. It's going to be Renee and the more kids. Yeah. (laughs) Kid number three on the way. All right, so they're trying to figure out how to uh, give the teams that have earned home court advantage some sort of home court advantage since it's all going to be neutral court in the bubble in Orlando. And there's a bunch of things about giving you designate one player to get a seventh foul. You don't really like that. There are some built-in advantages. If you know you got a shot blocker like Rudy Gobert who's foul prone or something, you could uh, you know not have to take him out if he gets two quick fouls early. Guys don't usually foul out, so I don't know the seventh one would be a big deal, but maybe it could mean more playing time along the way. Because oh, you I want know, advantages? Tricked up. Yeah. Two orange slices to the winners <laughs> instead of. One. <laughs> Double slices, guys. Yeah. Or they have treats, but the winning team gets to go first. One thing that's been thrown out there is let teams fly in the floor so they're playing on their own floor. No, don't do that. You're trying, you're trying to make money to keep the franchises going. You know, the owners want to make more money. The players want to make more money. Uh, we've talked multiple times about, you know, people we know who've – and it's happening at, at, you know, teams in multiple sports all over the country. You know, there's furloughs and there are layoffs. So don't blow money that could keep someone from getting furloughed on flying a floor across the country. Don't, don't do that for me. I don't care whether you do it or not. It doesn't matter. I have no opinion. How about the team with the highest uh, seed gets to pick their favorite hotel? How swanky are these places? Who's been to Disney World? How high-end are these? Kind of depends on what you're looking for. The Coronado Springs, where they're supposed to be staying for all of this, is pretty high-end, it sounds like. Oh, these guys, they're used to that. Uh, I mean, they, that that's nothing. No. Uh, running water. You get it if you win. <laughs> The old Boston Garden, the visitors' locker rooms, where there was no hot water to shower in. Yeah, hot water for the higher seeds, cold water for the lower seeds. Let's make it real. I mean, let's get some, something real, you know. Versus, uh, uh, let's see, spam versus filet mignon. <laughs> the eight seed gets spam. <laughs> Uh, Yuck, yuck. Did you ever eat Spam as a kid? I did. Oh, you did? Okay. And I'm not going to lie, one of my favorite snacks when I can get it is Spam Musubi. 
we ate, we ate spam. It was nasty. And you I had was, spam musubi. I, I don't even know what that is. It's a thing from Hawaii. You, you need to try it if you have it. I don't think I can. You had your mom's Italian cooking. You were telling us about that earlier in the show, PK. You ever eat spam? Mom no. ever serve you spam for dinner? No, no. She was really good, even on the other stuff. Uh, you know, we didn't have. We probably had Italian food three times a week, every Sunday certainly. And then a couple times during the week, which was never any problem with me. Uh, I mean, I grew to love it. It's what I, what I know. Others might be Mexican, whatever, whatever form of food. But even on the other nights, she could whip together something good. Now, my mother-in-law was a gourmet cook. Oh, my gosh. She would make just extravagant meals. Uh, and bless my wife's heart. She, she can't do that. Uh, but... Uh, she would make, somehow my mother, my mother-in-law, would make an omelet, and it would be the best omelet you've ever tasted. I, I don't know how she did it. Uh, my, her husband, her second husband, she was married to her second husband for like 30 years. He just passed last June. He would joke and point to his belly and blame my mother-in-law. <laughs> she was just a phenomenal cook, but no, I never had, I had great meals growing up. I, I got to say, food was was never much of an issue in my household. Very fortunate there. Uh, breaking news during the show: a uh, longtime football coach, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Johnny Major passed away at the age of eighty-five this morning. The obits are uh, coming up on websites and on social media. So that's a, another name from the past. PK you certainly know it. Uh, coach Tony Dorsett in college. I think that was a. The big year, the undefeated season to Pitt. Won the title, yeah. Oh, for sure, yeah. They played in the Fiesta Bowl, I think, uh, one year, and I went. I don't even remember who they played. Couldn't tell you who they played. Oh, he was also at Iowa State. I had no idea about that. So, there you go. 185 college football wins. That is a lot of wins. National Coach of the Year three times. And we always talk about coaching trees. 33 of his assistants later became head coaches at either the college level or in the NFL. I'll be dipped. DJ PK coming up next. Brian Keel, former BYU and NFL linebacker. Stay with us.